It's April. Spring, new life bursting forth. So April uh, makes me think of my old pal T.S. Eliot. Let's take a look at this stanza, uh, beginning lines of his uh, poem, The Wasteland. It says, April is the cruelest month. That's uh, very hopeful, isn't it? Breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Uh, I love these images that are conveyed here in this idea of uh, something stirring out of the dullness, out of the deadness, something new is coming, but it, it, you have to get through the cruelest month to see it emerge. Uh, not for us in California, though, right? Uh, so this picture was taken in West Michigan yesterday. That's where I used to live. <clears throat> I live here now. <laughs> April used to be the cruelest month. Not anymore. Uh, but for the next several weeks uh, through spring, I want to tap into this idea of uh, what, what's emerging. What's emerging uh, in our own transformation? Uh, something coming out of the dullness, something coming out of the deadness, something being formed and shaped in us in the way of Jesus. And the last several weeks through Lent, we've uh, kind of had this text in 2 Corinthians 3 as kind of a, a marker for where we're going. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so, as we push past Lent, celebrating resurrection last Sunday and into spring, I, I want to continue to tap into this idea and go a little deeper around what does it mean to live into this life God has created us for, this resurrected life, that we are not a people who do not live without hope. The resurrection brought us great hope. And, and yesterday we celebrated He is risen, and this week we celebrate He's still risen. And uh, we, we don't just look at Easter as this one day on the calendar and say we celebrated that Jesus rose from the dead that day. We celebrate it every day of the year because it's just not a celebration only that Jesus rose from the dead. It's a celebration that because Jesus rose from the dead, something is happening, something new is birthing within us because of the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the risen Christ in our midst. And so I want to explore that idea of uh, continuing to recognize that we all with unveiled faces are being transformed into the Lord's image with ever increasing glory. And so this morning I want to just walk through this passage in 2 Corinthians 3 because even though we've looked at this one verse, we haven't walked through that whole passage. And so I want to start with verse 1 in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is writing a letter. It's a letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, we spent some time several weeks back looking at 1 Corinthians, several passages in that text. And uh, this is his second letter to this church. He's writing them again about some other things. 
And he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So Paul's being a little snarky here uh, with Corinth. He's saying, look, do you need us to get letters like from Ephesus or from Philippi or somewhere? Do you need people to write letters of recommendation about us to you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so Paul is getting after this idea that, you know, a letter of recommendation, it's one thing. You can have a letter of recommendation that's written with ink on paper, and it can say really good things about you. But the life you live is really who you are. A letter can say anything. Uh, If you get a letter of recommendation, you're going to go to someone generally who you know, who you trust, is going to write a good letter of recommendation. You're not going to go to someone who you wonder, "Mm, I'm not sure if they'll write a good recommendation or not. And Paul is saying, the letter is one thing, but your life is a whole other thing. And he's tapping into, he's beginning to tap into what we're going to see here. He's uh, recalling their memory back to the time of Moses, when the law was given, and it was the letter of the law. And he says, but now there is the spirit which is within us and is so much more glorious than the letter of the law. He continues, verse 4, Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul's tapping into this uh, idea that we all, as humans, struggle with. We want to be competent people. If, if we ever appear to not be competent, uh, we're embarrassed because we want to be competent people. And Paul is saying, listen, our competence, it's not coming from within ourselves. It's coming from God. God is the one who gives us our competence. And the letter kills, but the Spirit, the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And so he's saying, listen, what was given to Moses in that time and in that place, it wasn't bad, it wasn't wrong. In fact, it was glorious. It was beautiful. But it doesn't even begin to compare with what is given by the Spirit of the resurrected Christ. Something new has come. And Paul Paul will talk about it in terms of what was given to Moses as the old covenant and what has been given in Christ by his spirit as the new covenant. That something new has emerged out of the old. Verse 9, if the ministry 
that brought condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? So over and over and over again in this text, Paul is using the word glory or glorious. And he's comparing that which was given to Moses to that which is given now by the Spirit. Both had glory, but that which is given by the Spirit outshines the Old Covenant beyond recognition. That it is so glorious. If that which brought condemnation, he's saying basically, if you live by the letter of the law, if your religion is a religion of doing right, if it's a religion of looking at what's right, what's wrong. If your religion is a religion of following rules, you've signed up for the wrong religion. Paul is saying that Christianity, this religion that we claim to be a part of, that what Jesus brought in the new covenant is not a religion of rules and regulations. It is a religion of freedom and life, and that the Spirit has written on our hearts what is right and wrong. We know deep in our bones, because of God's Spirit, how we're called to live our lives. And we know that when we live that way, it is not confining us, it's not holding us back, it is allowing us to live in freedom and in life by God's Spirit. Verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. And so Paul is talking about Uh, You can read about it in Exodus 34. When Moses went up onto the mountain to receive the law from God, when he came back down, the text tells us that his face was shining and people were freaked out. That'd be a little freaky, right? Someone came to you and their face was all aglow. And so Moses had to put a veil over his face, but it would fade. But then every time he went back to talk with God in what was called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, his face would glow again, and he'd have to put a veil over his face again, and then it would begin to fade. And it was kind of like a tan that would fade. Uh, And Paul is saying the ministry that comes by the Spirit, it doesn't fade. It never fades. In fact, it only increases in glory. Verse 15 Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This cuts to the heart of what the life of a Christian is all about. Living by the Spirit, where the veil is taken away. And we live fully alive 
the way God created us to live. No more veils, no more hiding, no more just duty and obligation. It's freedom and life by the Spirit of the risen Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's where freedom is. That is where freedom is. And then he says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so, Paul is helping us understand that the Christian life is never finished. It's not something that we just suddenly arrive at. It's not like climbing a mountain that we summit and we're done. He says it's, it's the process of transformation into the image of the risen Christ with ever increasing glory. And so this is something that continues on and on and on. We don't just arrive someday and say, okay, I'm there. I've been transformed. Check that off the list. What's next? It's this ongoing, slow work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Now, I think there are moments uh, of amazing transformation that we all encounter where something happens, where we encounter God in a, an amazing way, and, and we get propelled on this trajectory. But the Christian life, for the most part, is this slow work of God in our lives, transforming us with ever-increasing glory. And I think this is somewhat difficult for us in this day and age to... Uh, to rest in this idea that transformation is the slow work of God. Because we we live in an on-demand world, don't we? Uh, We no longer have to uh, make sure we're home on time to watch that particular television show. Because we can just watch it whenever we want now. And in fact, so many of them we can just binge watch, right? One after another, just one more. Okay, just one more, and then I'll go to bed. Uh, We live in this on-demand, instant gratification world where whatever we want is available to us at the touch of our finger on a screen. And Paul is saying, that's not how transformation works. Transformation is the slow work of God revealing your glory. And it's so glorious. Notice this uh, quote from Thomas Merton. Every moment and every event of every person's life on earth plants something in his soul. Every moment in every event, is planting something in your soul. Uh, Let me ask you this question. 
what is being planted in your soul? If every moment and every event of our lives is an opportunity for something to be planted in our souls, if every moment and every event in our lives is an opportunity for glory to be revealed, for transformation to occur. See, we, we can live in the freedom of the Spirit of God in our lives, or we can reject it, can't we? We can choose to be formed with ever-increasing glory, or we can choose to be deformed with diminishing glory. God's Spirit does not force us to have the glory revealed. We can put the veil back up. We can hide the glory that God wants to reveal in our lives. Uh, what is being planted in your soul? It's a quote by Walter Brueggemann that convicts me every time I read it. The key pathology of our time, which seduces us all, is the reduction of the imagination so that we are too numbed, satiated, and co-opted to do serious imaginative work. What's numbing you? What's co-opting you? What is keeping you from allowing the mind of Christ to work in your life? What is being planted in your soul? We live in this world where we just, it's images, one after another, click of a finger, click, 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 next thing, click, click, click. Look at this social media site, look at this social media site, look at this social media site, click, click, click. Email, internet, show, back to internet. We can have three screens open at the same time. Uh, what, what is being planted in your soul? There's uh, this painting. Anyone know this painting? Girl with pearl earring. Vermeer, uh, 17th century, painted this. It took him a long time. The slow hard work of creating something, contemplating, reflecting, hard work to create this. Uh, what, what are we creating with our lives? Uh, this is what someone did with this painting. No more pearl earring, just a selfie. And every day as people look at this painting in a museum, this is what they do. I read a study uh, the other day that said the things we take pictures of, we forget more quickly than the things we don't. <clears throat> I can look this painting up on the internet and get far better images of it than these people get with their cell phones. Why is it that we 
have events in our life, things in our life. And we just snap photos, move to the next thing. Snap photo, move to the next thing. They just snap a photo of this and move to the next one without reflecting on it. The, the slow, hard work that Vermeer put into that painting. You are a work of art. You are the slow, hard work of God. And God is revealing his glory in and through you. And God is inviting you to participate in that slow, hard work where your glory is revealed. What is being planted in your soul? This is not a question to invoke guilt. This is not a question to shame. It's a question I'm asking myself. Matt, what's being planted in your soul? Because God in no way wants us to live in shame. What God wants us to live in is glory. The glory that he is revealing in and through us. And so I have to ask myself the hard question, in what way am I cooperating with the Spirit of God in my life to allow that glory to be revealed? And in what ways am I not cooperating? What am I planting in my soul? Because every moment and every event plants something in my soul. And that something can either be something that will reveal glory or diminish glory. I think we would all agree this morning, we want God's glory revealed, don't we? We want his glory revealed in the world. We want his glory revealed in and through us. And this is the invitation to transformation. God invites us into this journey of the slow, hard work of God to reveal our glory with ever-increasing glory. This is the work of the cross. This is the power of the resurrection. And so this morning, as you come and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, as we remember that Christ's body was broken for us, as we remember that Christ's blood was shed for us, and as we long and hope for the day when Christ will come again. I invite you to come and take your time. Don't, don't let this be a drive-by. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, if you feel so compelled, hold on to it. Go back to your seat and just hold on to it. And reflect. What's being planted in my soul? And then as you consume this bread and juice, 
I invite you to say a simple prayer. God, as I consume this into me, may it be you that is planted in my soul. Jesus, I want you planted in my soul. God, thank you. Thank you that we don't just celebrate Easter once a year. But we can and do celebrate the resurrected Christ every moment of every day. And may it be the resurrected Christ, may it be your very spirit that is planted in our soul to bring glory upon glory upon glory for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as you go this morning, may you know that it is the risen Christ who is planted in your soul. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his shalom, the very peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. Grace and peace be yours. Amen.